0: Carthago Delenda Est, hello and welcome to Everything's Political. I'm your host, Taya Shoemake. You can find us online at everythingspolitical.org. The email address for the show is podcast at everythingspolitical.org. Shout out to Magic Man Joe Strecker, the Paul McCartney of podcast producers. (laughs) I I don't even know if you like the Beatles, Joe, but on this day, in 1964, the Beatles arrived in New York City for the first time, sparking Beatle mania. Now, I'm not a huge Beatles fan. In fact, I was called un American once because I wasn't a big enough Beatles fan. And I thought that was, I'm like, yeah, but they're not American. Okay, but whatever, you be you. Um, but I think Paul McCartney was uh, pretty gifted in his realm. So as are you Magic Man. Also in this day on this day in 1973 the US Senate voted to create a committee to investigate Watergate. Huh. Which is a great segue to introduce our next guest, Steve Gooden. He is an attorney in business litigation, government municipality litigation. He is a former prosecutor both state and federal. Uh, His resume includes the Peace Corps, U.S. Army Judge Advocate. He is a current Hamilton County Regional Planning Commission board member, and he is the chair of the Board of Trustees for the Center for Addiction Treatment. I could go on and on. Steve Gooden, welcome and thank you for being on the show.
1: uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Steve, I read your bio and I realized that you're that guy. You're that guy in Cincinnati at the barbecue towards whom everyone gravitates because your professional and life journey is that vast. Um, uh, amazing. And I would love to have you back on to talk about other topics. What I'd like to talk about today is uh, an unfortunate theme that we have on this show that uh, too many of our elected employees are either bought, bribed, or blackmailed. And in 2020 you were appointed to city council uh, because of a huge corruption scandal and uh, I just wanted to juxtapose the circumstances and outcome of that particular situation with what's going now going on now at the state with the Larry householder situation could you give us a little bit of background
1: Oh, absolutely. And again, thanks for thanks for having me on and thanks for talking about this uh on your podcast because I'll tell you um this is one of those um situations uh that is you know almost you know almost breathtaking in its scope, but really isn't getting a lot of play locally because uh you know, thank God none of our local elected officials really are involved in this one. You know the trials going on here in Cincinnati for reasons I'll you know, circle back and talk about. But it, this is one that everybody uh, who is an Ohioan Republican, Democrat, or, or every side of the aisle should follow and be following closely. Because this is really, when you look nationally, one of the largest political corruption scandals that's ever been uh, alleged. Uh, in American history. And, I mean, what we really have here is we have something, a company called First Energy, which owned two large nuclear power, still owns two large nuclear power plants sort of in far southeastern Ohio. Those plants were failing. They were not doing well. Um, And uh, I think as this company looked around at the the political landscape in Ohio where fracking was getting a lot of tax breaks, was getting a lot of uh, government encouragement, they thought, why can't we get a bailout? Um, and they wanted a bailout. And that's something that, frankly, they might have been able to negotiate legally or on their own. What they did here was create a what I would call, and what prosecutors call, and what I would personally call, a bogus nonprofit. They called it Generation Now. It's what they call a 501C4, uh, as opposed to a C3, which is a traditional nonprofit. A 501C4, you do not have to reveal your donors. And the idea is that it's supposed to be sort of an educational uh, nonprofit organization that runs ads to educate the public in theory here about nuclear power. Uh, they put sixty million dollars into this thing, uh, mm. and the allegations are, and I think it's, and I think so far the trial is kind of bearing this out, is that the that this nonprofit, which was supposedly this independent educational. Uh, situation, um, was in fact controlled by Larry Householder, who was then at the time running, uh, tried to rehabilitate himself, come back into politics and running for Speaker of the House, as well as a group of lobbyists and allegedly the Chairman of the Republican Party, former Chairman of the Republican Party, getting Matt Borges, who was also on trial with him, and that they used that money to elect 21 separate uh, state representatives who then in turn made Larry householder speaker. Then they passed and pushed through a 1.2 billion dollar bailout for these two nuclear energy plants and when a group of citizens tried to do a referendum to stop this bailout then they interfered with the process or or attempted to interfere with the process and then tried to you know stopping the signature gathering and tinkering with the language and tried everything they could to keep it off the ballot and keep the citizens from calling it back. So, I mean, when you strip all that down, what the allegation is, is that First Energy and its officials, and First Energy's already, as a company, has basically pled guilty, uh, entered something called a Deferred Prosecution Agreement, which is essentially admitting the conduct. They put 60 million into a dark money organization. They thought no one would ever know, and they got 1.2 billion in taxpayer dollars back. So it's a pretty great return on investment, $60 million for $1.2 billion. Uh, but it was our dollars, and uh, this has resulted in the former House Speaker, Larry Householder, being arrested and charged with on a variety of federal corruption charges, as well as a group of lobbyists, um, including, including named Neil Clark, who was sort of the most famous of all uh, Republican lobbyists in Columbus. He was charged and had actually begun cooperating with the federal uh, uh, officials. Uh, but he committed suicide about a year and a half ago. So um, you know we'll you know we'll never quite know what will happen with his part. But right now, uh, Larry House, older, former Republican Speaker of the House, as well as uh, Matt Borges, the former Ohio Republican uh, party chairman, uh, are on trial facing, you know uh, decades in prison. Uh, for being a part of a massive corruption scandal, which $1.2 billion in tax dollars uh, were allegedly used to, to bail out these uh, two nuclear power plants. Wow.
0: What, wouldn't you like to have that return on the investment uh, in your portfolio? Uh,
1: I've never had that kind of re- – I, I get a right? – uh, hey, hey, I'm afraid to open my 401k scheme, so yeah, <laughs> I, uh, these days. So yes, uh, you know, that, that that kind of return on investment is pretty amazing uh but the part you know the part that i think that really gives all this the the you know the the federal uh uh, hook here i guess uh, is is you know and what is sort of it's amazing how easy it is to overlook is you know these were this was our money i mean these were this was these were state tax dollars and taxpayer dollars and it is very very easy to kind of you know, we're so used to this kind of corruption being alleged and the scheme is is relatively co-op, you know, uh, complicated and complex and hard to follow and and really the average citizen doesn't quite know when you start talking about dark money what you mean by dark money and that's just, you know and that's something that, that is is vital to understand here the idea of how these kinds of uh, organizations uh, are used to funnel money illegally into campaigns um, you know the, I mean it's, we're just so used to hearing these terms thrown around um, that, that it's it's very easy to just let it frankly go right over our heads.
0: yes, it it certainly it dilutes the meaning and the in the gravity of what's being done to us uh, by the people right. we elect to protect us from that very thing. Um, and which is uh, frustrating it's it, you know I I try to look for patterns whenever there is because but I, I totally agree with you my eyes start rolling back into my head when I try to dive down some of these rabbit holes to look for patterns to you know possibly see it in the future or you know ask the right questions of candidates who want my vote or my money and um, I, you know I always do a whiteboard session right so I'll do um, Uh, a list of players. Who are the players? Um, Who benefits, right? Cui bono. Um, What are the allegations and what is a reasonable outcome? And typically in these types of situations you have, uh, you know, it's always follow the money. Sure. But the hubris, I think that's what gets lost is the outrage over the hubris. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the first Larry Householder scandal. Yeah, Yeah, me too i mean come on that that people would re-elect him now look i'm all about uh you know redemption and second chances and all of that but yeah i don't know that i'm bringing him back and and i i'm not quite sure why we can't build a deeper bench
1: (laughs) so you know i always think that in in my experience redemption always is Proceeded by some sort of atonement and request yes. and, and admission and request for forgiveness. There was nothing like that with Larry Householder. Larry came under a pretty intense investigation all the way back in 2004 and basically retreated from politics um, and uh, you know just voluntarily left under a cloud um, and then he comes back. Um, Yeah. You know, kind of writing, you know, and basically, you know, we now know, uh, even if the jury doesn't find it to be criminal, which I doubt, I think he is going to be convicted. I think both of them will be convicted of at least some of these charges um, that that we now know that his entire political comeback was engineered and funded uh, by this first energy company. I don't think we would even be having this discussion if they hadn't uh, uh, in conjunction with these lobbyists cooked up the scheme.
0: Right. Yes. It was as if they said, gee, who can we find that will run this corruption for us? And, I, you know, frankly, that's just we the people need to do a better job. Uh, I I realize that, you know, a lot of this stuff is clandestine and surreptitious, but we need to do a better job of of trying to prevent this very thing in the candidates we elect. But I I wanted to go over the the different players. So we know householder. We know Matt Borges, and I realize those those are two different sets of charges. Is that accurate?
1: Um, they are, but they overlap to a large degree, and they're actually being tried together um, okay. i mean they're i mean basically the way the the, the way the um, the u s attorneys of uh, are attacking this and trying to organize this in a way to make it a little easier to understand is there's an overlying kind of concept of racketeering. Here, which is sort of an organized criminal enterprise, mm-hmm. and even though some of the specific actions that are alleged to have been undertaken by Borges and by Householder, you know, are different, um, and some of the testimonies different, some of the money that was floating around was used differently. But the two of them, the idea is that this was all one big enterprise, which was to get that bailout money uh, back to First Energy. Uh, so therefore, you know, it's, you know, racketeering, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what they, which is a, an organized crime term. And it's a, it's a federal law that basically says any kind of, you know, if you're, if you're all working toward the same criminal goal, you know, we're, we're, we can charge you together. So they're both charged with racketeering. And they have individual charges that fall off that. So they're able to try them together and introduce a lot of evidence that ties them together. And, you know, they're sort of already, Borges, you know, is, is in the trial trying to put some distance from householder. But, man, uh, unfortunately, these guys, like a lot of people these days, kind of live their professional lives on email and text message. So there's a, there's some, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's already been put in front of that jury that, uh, that, that puts them right together. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it's tough not to make those connections. I mean, it's, it, and frankly, Steve, it's, it's difficult. Now, I've been in the political sausage factory longer than I care to admit, uh, but it's difficult to give the judgment of charity. Uh, it, it, right. At this point, when someone right. has been involved this long, and they already have a track record, uh, you know, and I I guess that's, maybe that's wrong, I don't know, but I think just as a means of self-defense as a taxpayer, you know, I don't give a lot of judgment of charity, but it's uh, it certainly seems systemic at best. Um, now, there was another person involved, a lobbyist, Jeff Longstrath. What what is his position, and where does he stand?
1: Well, Jeff, my understanding is, and I don't have it right in front of me, but yeah, he uh, he and I think Juan uh, Sospedes, the other two, have cooperated in some way or another. Uh, and they are not in the trial today. I believe they have cut deals uh, with gotcha. the government and we may be hearing from them. Uh, you know, and the other one, obviously, who was charged with Mr. was Neil Clark, who's a guy right. that, you know, I worked in Columbus for years. Everybody knew Neil Clark. I mean, Neil was like the, the, the Republican lobbyist of, of his hmm. generation, you know, wow. uh, and uh, and he is, you know, obviously he's not standing trial because he's committed suicide. And one of the big battles in the, the early days of the trial um was was whether or not his his statements, his recorded statements could be played to the jury uh, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I mean, he he had spoken with these agents both through, you know, both the, as part of an attempt to cooperate with the prosecution. And previously they had recorded him you know surreptitiously for many, many hours, hours of recordings, apparently, and Neil Clark talking about how all this worked mm-hmm. um, and they're still, you know, and the, the prosecution would love to play some of that for this jury. Um, and right now the judge isn't allowing it, but I think he left the door open to potentially allow it some of it depending on the circumstances that you know develop as the trial goes on. So right. I mean really the focus right now is Borges and Householder. The other the other you know, there were three others, uh, all of whom were you know, were lobbyists in one way or another, who were either cooperating or, or dead. And then obviously they tried to charge uh, First Energy. So they, I think they clearly looked at some of the individual uh, people who worked there, uh, but then the company itself ultimately uh, you know, entered this deferred prosecution agreement, which is essentially an admission of of criminal conduct. And they and the, all the various, uh, for many of the anyway, various First Energy, um, um, you know, sort of executives are cooperating with the prosecution, and several of them have already testified.
0: Well, did did their CEOs uh, resign? The uh-huh. That's what the I CEO thought.
1: CEO resigned, and they and they paid a a whopping fine already. I believe in the sixty million range.
0: So that deferred, this, uh, prosec-
1: deferred prosecution here.
0: And is that uh, deferred prosecution? Is that tantamount to uh, you know no contest?
1: Sort of. I mean, basically, what a deferred prosecution typically means, and I've, you know, so I, I was a federal prosecutor for a period of time, and I still, you know, represent individuals and companies sometimes in, in issues, particularly regarding tax issues and, you know, in, in medical, uh, Medicare, Medicaid fraud allegations and so things of that nature. Usually, what a deferred prosecution agreement means is we admit we did what we did, we're going to pay a, a big fine of some sort. And then we're going to have a and then you're basically going to put us on a sort of unofficial probation to make sure we mm-hmm. don't do it for a period of time. And if we if we do anything else bad or you learn that we did other stuff that we didn't tell you about, then you still have the right to come back and prosecute us. That's the thing. It's like it's you know, we're, we're deferring prosecution for a period gotcha. of time. And if you keep your nose clean, if you cooperate with our investigation into other people admit fault and pay something you know and and they they hit them enough here that it had to hurt uh then we're going to um you know move forward and sometimes these agreements do require people to resign from certain positions i don't think that's mm-hmm. the case here but first energy you know obviously they, they've taken some steps to clean up uh internally and yes I most of the folks who were involved with this um uh, on the executive kind of staff side are gone
0: gotcha well thank you for uh, uh explaining that um okay the the, another player on my whiteboard was Sam Randazzo, um, right. it, and I've I, I see his name mentioned, but I don't. It, it's very um, vague as to his specific. I know that he resigned. Um, Governor DeWine appointed him as the Public Utilities Commission officer, or of Ohio. Sorry, I always forget what that acronym is. Right, um, right. And so, but he has resigned. Is that we accurate? Yeah, that's
1: that's right. I mean, I mean, he was never charged, um, you know, and that's one of the things uh, about this that is uh, sort of fascinating to the political watchers up in Columbus, you know, is the Randazzo uh, connection and the sort of uh, hints that there might be something that goes back into the DeWine administration. But, I mean, in fairness, nobody out of the DeWine administration was charged. Randazzo, you know, we know uh, that the feds uh, looked at him closely. We know that, you know, there have been uh, press reports, I guess, that uh, subpoenas were served upon him and that there may have been some sort of uh, uh, FBI effort, you know, raid to try to get documents from him. Right. Um, but apparently they were never able to make a case against him. Uh, and, you know, and it's a lot of that is conjecture. Now, you know, they're one of the famous, you know, bits here uh, about this case that it's kind of known for when you read about the case, like in the big national publications like The Wall Street Journal and The New York Times, they all mentioned that Neil Clark, the lobbyist, was wearing a DeWine Houston shirt when he committed suicide. Hmm. And there's a lot, you know, a lot of folks question whether that was some effort at symbolism or whether he just had, you know, happened to have a, you know, because he worked in Republican politics, had an old DeWine Houston t-shirt. So no one really knows um, you know, there's there's no secret that the you know, that the, it's in the record that the Dewine administration very much supported uh, the bailout. But you know, it, uh, ironically, I think there was a there, you know there was and this is one of the things that the prosecutors I think have done a very good job of spelling out in the trial. There actually was a pretty good argument for for the state trying to help. First energy without all this, right? Uh, I mean, nuclear, you know, nuclear power is. If we're really going to move toward energy independence, like we we seem to be wanting to do in the last presidential administration, and now that seems to be gone. But yeah, but that's you know, nuclear is part of the talk. Natural, hundred percent. You know, nuclear. I mean, that's all. If we're really going to walk away from all that stuff and actually, you know, be able to chart our own course as a country, that's part of the conversation. So they yes. could probably. Ach- Maybe may, may not have achieved the, these incredibly generous terms, but the, the the state would have probably given them something pretty decent on the, just on its merits, right? Uh, and right, that, and that's been DeWine's position all along, which was saying, okay, I didn't know this, but I would have I would have probably um, I would have probably supported it just you know because it was the right thing to do. But yes, there's been a lot of back and forth about that. There's been a lot of testimony in the trial of these individuals, particularly trying to push uh the lieutenant governor john Husted, to help them uh within the administration but you know like i said there's a lot of folks in columbus that whisper about what all of this means but at the end of the day um they didn't charge any anyone you know associated with the dewine administration or with the public utilities commission which is where you know randazzo uh you know was an appointee
0: right and uh, i'll add that you know if you're going to throw 60 million into gen now you could have used that money to make your case to the taxpayers. And and like you said, nuclear is part of the discussion. It's clean, it's efficient, um, and certainly something that, uh, in my opinion, Ohio would be able to lead. You know, that's one of the frustrating things. I'm a native Ohioan, and I see so many things on which we could have led. And yet, instead of transparency, uh, people automatically go to the to the b- bribed or blackmailed and it's it's frustrating because it doesn't need to be that way, especially if you are uh, honoring your oath. Right. That's 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 well, what yeah, their job absolutely. is. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. I mean, that's and that's the part about this that is so, you know, that I think the worst part of this in a way. And I think this is something that the jury, you know, would, if I were on this jury that I would particularly react to was when you did have a group of taxpayers who. They didn't know how, who who didn't understand, I don't think, the corruption involved, but who questioned the bailout, questioned the size of the bailout, and tried to get the signatures together to get it on the ballot, Yeah, to to to, to have it reviewed, as is a citizen's right. You know, one of the things that you can see is part of that $60 million was, and, and this is what was revealed in the trial yesterday, was part of this $60 million was used to stymie that process. Yes. You know, that they were going around, that they were, uh, you know, the uh, the testimony yesterday was that they were uh, – was that Borges was trying to bribe uh, one of the guys uh, who was – who whose company was helping gather the signatures because, you know, getting a, a statewide ballot referendum on is a huge undertaking. I forget how many signatures you have to get, but it's thousands. Yes. And, you know, usually you end up having to use paid signature collectors to even have a chance. And he was trying to bribe the guy in the company to give him the signature counts and where are you and what can we do to stop it and, i mean they did everything in their power uh, to try to keep this thing off the ballot so and that's playing pro- with the language and pressuring public officials to mess with the language and things of that nature
0: and that's probably i mean to me that is i mean uh you know uh, your 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 pitchforks let's go torches and pitchforks because i was involved right. in the healthcare freedom amendment uh ballot initiative right, right. I know how hard it is. I know going to every forum where you think you can get the most signatures, people, and trust me, I wasn't the, the, the lead on that by any stretch, but I understand the cost and I understand uh, the shoe leather and I understand the frustration of working against a system that seems to be, be rigged against you. And I've uh, I've told the story here about a, a, a legal aid in, um, or a legislative aid in Columbus. And this was years ago. This was probably... 2 decades ago uh, i asked a question about uh, private and homeschoolers it was a piece of education legislation and uh, whether or not they were a target and this person looked at me and said oh they're always a target they've just not gotten to them yet now i was as green as you can imagine as, as far as my political involvement right. and i realized right then and it was it i call it a blessing and a curse because i realized there's an agenda going on up here uh, about which I'm not supposed to know and about which they don't want me to know. And uh, oh, that means I need to stick my nose in their business a little bit more because what happens in Columbus should not stay in Columbus. It filters down to we the people. So um, my my last question regarding the players is uh, the, the 21 state reps who benefited from this money and from householders uh, direction of this money any any hint or any uh, effect that that might have on them
1: well you know some of their names are coming out and, um, and and that's one of the reasons that um actually even some of the testimony came out yesterday and i think that's going to be a real mixed thing some of them are no longer in office Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, with term limits, you know, I mean, we're going back into, you know, we're going back several years. Some of them either didn't win. some of them were not, you know, districted back, but some of them were still around. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, of course, their argument back is going to be, hey, we didn't really know. Uh, Not all of them. You know, there isn't none of them were charged directly. There is really no direct evidence that they all knew where the money was coming from. But what is starting to come out in the trial, there was a guy I'm blanking on his name here right now up in the Dayton area, you know, who clearly benefited from from ads, you know, for the you know, for the you know, from this generation. Now, you know, they started running, you know, the classic dark money ads against their opponents, uh, so that, that is starting to trickle out in the trial. Um, yeah. in, in fact, there was one, they were showing that there was a dark money ad accusing Larry Householder's opponent in his home district of using dark money ads. <laughs> uh, they, they put that on in the trial yesterday just to show just kind of how ridiculous it got. Yes. But yes. no, it is starting to happen, and these and these folks are are sprinkled throughout the state, and really, um, I, from from what I could tell, none of our local kind of Hamilton, Warren, Claremont County folks uh, benefited from those ads, from what we can tell. Yes, well, I... It's it's, it's definitely starting to trickle out, and I would expect in their home districts, um, you know, that's going to start coming up. Uh, It's more of a political liability than a legal one, I would think.
0: Yeah, I agree, Uh, because if nothing else, then the people, the electorate, should be able to connect the dots. I mean, we have a, a, a local rep here in Claremont that was involved in the first larry householder scandal and uh so uh you know many of us are are tracing the money back to see hey is this a connection was this hey i'm going to get you elected and we're going to come on and we're going to vote for um you know this bailout but it's uh again it's it's really frustrating that um you know they they treat i understand the the proclivity of some elected officials to think that that the electorate is just you know dumb or that they don't pay attention too many of us don't pay attention but if you get to the critical thinkers right and you make your case uh if the state and first energy had made its case uh, you know a lot of us then would be able to process that information and uh you know and the electorate decides and that's just the way it is
1: uh or well, way, so you, the way you it's hit serving. the, nail on the- You've hit the nail on the head for me, which is, you know, my involvement in politics over the years has been, you know, whenever we get out of the persuasion business and into the, like, game-playing business, things go bad. And, you know, if this was such a great use of tax dollars, and maybe it was, or maybe it was, maybe the answer was something similar but lesser, or maybe it was to be designed as a loan, whatever the case might have been. If if you had had transparency, if you'd had a process, and if there had been an effort to persuade folks, then you would have then you'd have something here, I think. But and we, we wouldn't even be talking about this. But when you when you do this kind of game playing, and when you do this sort of, you know, we're going to obligate people to vote for me because you got the money. That's a problem. I mean, and how this scam worked, to be precise, with the individual state reps. And this is, I think, the reason why. You know, as I'm saying, as a former prosecutor, why they probably weren't criminally charged, is that it it would be, I doubt that there was any explicit quid pro quo Mm -hmm. between them and Householder, which was, you know, I think how the testimony seems to be coming out, like basically Householder shows up and says, hey, look, I got money in this nonprofit, which I'm not supposed to control, but clearly control. And we can't really run ads for you, but we can trash your opponents. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we're not allowed to use them for political ads. We can use them for so-called issue ads. So let me do that. And then they accepted, you know, his help. And then when it came time to vote for speaker, um, you know, they owed him one. So right. They voted for it's speaker. understood. And when he became right. And then when he yes. became speaker, it was like, hey, guess what? My top priority is this bailout. Um, and uh, and then, you know, and that's just and that's just probably how it all worked. But you're right. I think there's some. Uh, I, I predict there will be some political fallout for some of those individual reps, you know, right or wrong. But I mean, that's that that seems to be how this all worked. That's part of yes. the you know the enterprise, as they call it, the criminal enterprise.
0: Well, we've we've uh, pleaded with our elected employees, although we shouldn't have to. To to well, we've reminded them, I should say, that you know their their three most important voters are not me, myself, and I. And unfortunately, that seems to be the the sentiment behind this. You know, the go-to action is always surreptitious. And it's uh, it's insulting, um, it's demeaning, and I think it's a dereliction of duty. Um, But I guess that's just the nature of power. Um, So what, you think this, how long do you think this trial is going to
1: last, Steve? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, we're about three weeks in. I mean, I would guess at the pace it's moving about six weeks. I mean, they've already had to, um, uh, you know, the the the, the, jur- the judges complained a couple times about the pace, um, and I know, you know, this is the same group of prosecutors who uh, handled the PG Sittenfeld, you know, city Cincinnati City Hall corruption trial. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was an issue in that case too. Is that they have so much information that they want to put before the jury, and these investigations tend to go on so many years, and they, you know, with these undercover agents, for recordings, and so forth. You know that it really is hard to pare it down from their standpoint. I mean, I, I, I think you know it would behoove them to do so. But I would, I would estimate this goes on, you know, at least another month, month and a half. Hmm. Um, they've already had a, had to break several days uh, because one of the jurors got COVID.
0: Right, right. I did um, read that.
1: And so they were, yeah, you know, worried about the about the others uh, catching it. That that is something that continues to be a problem, particularly in this particular courtroom, which I've been to many times. The the jurors, you know, sit very close to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, you know, once once something like that, it could either just be it doesn't have to be COVID, just a common cold. will will get around um, quickly in that particular sure. room. So. Um, so, yeah, I don't, and apparently he sent home COVID tests again last night. I guess someone wasn't feeling well again. Uh, hmm. So, there might be yet another delay, uh, okay. was sort of what was sort of signaled yesterday. I guess uh, the, at the end of the day, the judge passed out COVID tests. Right. So, um, who, you know, so who knows? And the longer these cases drag on, in my experience too, you have folks who, you know, suddenly they have some work emergency family emergency there's a lot of stops and starts when you get into that one month range it's a lot of time to ask an average citizen to leave their life behind and listen to one of these things
0: now uh, we had accountability in the PG Sittenfeld case we have the same legal team in the householder case and I'm assuming that has a lot to do with it because if you're good and you can tell the story uh, you know that that helps the jury that helps uh, everyone understand what it you know if you are if you are forecasting what would your best guess be as far as will accountability be handed out here in the householder case
1: you know i do I, I i believe that there will be uh, convictions uh, on at least some of the charges against householder and both borges and uh and, it, and the, the prosecution team has somewhat to do with it, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the prosecutors um, are only as good as their facts. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a couple things to consider here. I mean, the householder is is, is amazingly, and Borges and as well, they're not really contesting what happened. I mean, because they can't. Um, you know, there is no... Um, uh, real, you know, real ability to say, I didn't send these text messages. I didn't send these emails. The bailout didn't happen. I mean, I mean, it's all a matter of public record, right? It just happened. And the two lobbyists who are cooperating and the, the Neil Clark testimony clearly show that this was something that was sort of cooked up in advance and was extremely well, well known. In fact, what, what, what's going in front of the, what may go in front of the jury later, one of the exhibits they're fighting about is a graphic that, um, First Energy folks designed that showed the state state house with the First Energy logo blasted on it. They made that <laughs> as a joke, but not a joke at all, really. Right. You think about it; It's a, right. right to the heart of the chase. I mean, so, so, but the, their their defense is this was just politics, you know, dark money, five hundred one Everybody does. They it. are legal. Yeah, everybody does it. Citizens United, which you know, I'm one of the few conservatives who think Citizens United was wrongly decided, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, allows independent expenditures. It allows these 501 C4s to do this to a certain degree. Now obviously you're not supposed to coordinate. There's a there's an issue that they, you know, that they've done here, you know, where they've clearly coordinated illegally, but they're gonna argue, well that's really something for the Federal Elections Commission to take up, not for a jury. That's not a crime. You're basically being mad you're mad at us for being really good at politics. Uh, there's a couple reasons I don't think that sells one is just the scope of this, I think, and 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 the extent to which the coordination occurred and the involvement of the lobbyists. I really don't think is going to is going to sit well with this jury. But even if it didn't, they've taken sort of a belt and suspenders approach. There is there's very clear evidence from what I can tell, and a separate set of charges that show that householder took about four hundred fifty thousand dollars out of this uh, uh, first-gen nonprofit and used it for personal expenses. Mm -hmm. He fixed up his condo down in Florida. He he, he paid some lawyers off on some personal lawsuits. He did a whole bunch of other stuff. So even if they totally reject the concept of the racketeering charges, I mean, householder's still got about half a million dollars worth of personal spending from this thing that is, in my view, I don't know, penalty any real defense against that. the other thing that they're trying to do here clearly uh, is, is and, and this is this happened to a lesser extent in the Sittenfeld trial, but still very present there, is they're really trying to make a record for appeal. Um, you know, they're, uh, when when you get outside of the, of, of a, 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 juries hate this kind of conduct, and if you look at all the big political corruption cases in the last 10, 15 years, whether it be Blagojevich out and. Um, you know Illinois, Illinois. Uh, Governor McConnell case, yeah, up in, in in Virginia. You know they were all convicted by juries, and then you know they had some better luck on the appellate side, trying to argue you know the definition and quid pro quo, and arguing some of the more obscure kind of campaign finance, criminal intent questions. They had a better luck, you know, getting you know getting some relief in front of juries, or I'm sorry, in front of a, 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 appellate courts than the jury. Juries, I think, just tend to be. You know, really, you know, really turned off by this sort mm-hmm. of thing, and uh, you know, it's like the the two things you don't want to be in front of a jury right now is a, is a is a journalist or a politician because I think right. everyone's fed up with both, yes. and, and and I think they walk walking in. You're halfway halfway to a guilty verdict, uh, uh, that, you know, walking in, and that's right. the state of of you know the culture. Um, so they're definitely trying to preserve a lot of issues and uh, for for appeal later on. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do predict that there will be convictions here, whether they're convicted of every last thing, I don't know. I mean, that's relatively rare. The jury may give them the benefit of the doubt on some of the specific allegations. Uh, but if, you know, one count of racketeering carries up to 20 years. So, you know, even one hit here is pretty serious.
0: Right. And, uh, before I, and again, Steve Gooden, thank you for being on, um, the, the trigger or impetus for we in the PG Sittenfeld case also or I should say Cincinnati Council case but also the Householder case. What was the was it a what is anonymous tip is that what started the whole investigation.
1: Right. And in this case, it was. And in fact, they revealed the anonymous uh, uh, tipster yesterday. Uh, he's oh. not anonymous anymore. He's a former state representative, but the last name of Greenspan. And I I, I, and I I follow this stuff, but he's a guy I hadn't heard of. I think he's up from northwest Ohio, if I remember correctly. Um, he was somebody who testified yesterday, you know, that he had had some concerns about some of this first entity stuff and about the pressure uh, that um, householder was putting on him, and I don't believe he was one of the 21 who benefited either. I think he was just a, a state representative, and that he was getting text messages from householder about how oh, you've got to support this, you got to support this. We got to study them later. We got to stop the uh, the signature uh, gathering process. He wasn't comfortable with it. He reached out to householder directly, and householder told him, "Oh God, you're not on the team. Basically, you're not on the team." <laughs> Uh, delete all your text messages from me, please. And at that point, he was like, "This doesn't feel right." Wow. And he reached out to the authorities, and the FBI ultimately interviewed him, and and uh, and that, that that all came out yesterday. So yeah, it began. It actually began with a state representative. Again, no one, nowhere, no one I'd heard of, and nowhere near this area. There's 99 of them um, who just, you know, qu- he dared question it, and his response was. The household response was delete all my text messages, <laughs> and that's when he was like, "Wait a minute, we're we're in a different, you know, this isn't doesn't feel right to me." And yeah, that's a red flag. And that began, and then wow. as a result of that, they were able to subpoena. They showed that they were able to go back and subpoena his text messages, and there was enough there that it began. You know, it, it sort of opened uh opened the window there, and they started to go go through that Pandora's box and, of uh, the corruption. Right. That's right. Yeah, that was just, that's, uh, that just came out in court yesterday. Wow. Well,
0: I'll tell you, I'm, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing all of this information with our listeners. It's, um, it, it, it's, it shouldn't shock me then, you know, the nature of power on man, but it continues to the, the hubris just continues to baffle me. Um, the hubris with which they continue on that path and, um, you know, just assume that we all have ADD, which I think is, uh, or I should say voter ADD, but I think that's what a lot of politicians do, and they back out for a few years or whatever, and um, and come back like uh, like nothing ever happened, kind of like Householder. Um, but I want to thank you again. I, I, I almost want to think that you are, I, I see a little bit of Jefferson Smith in you, Steve.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I, I hey that you're you're being way 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 too kind you were way but too but you know in I introduction I mean we're, we're just trying to do the right thing here so and, uh I'm and that's what is some attention to what's happening
0: well that's what is so refreshing and I want to thank you for doing that um and I I hope you'll come back on and share with us any updates and um thank you again for everything that you do
1: well God bless you and thank you very much too. And you know, look these this is human nature stuff. I mean these are these stories kind of corruption. It's as old as the scriptures. You see it over and over and uh, you know, as long as there's human beings with power, they're gonna make uh, make bad decisions. And Indeed. Of, you know, if we're gonna have a, if we're gonna have a country, we have to call it out. So
0: Indeed. God bless you as well, Steve. Take care. We will be following the householder trial and we will uh, keep you Posted. Hopefully, we can also get Steve back on the program. What a powerhouse of information. Um, really appreciate that. So, that will be all for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you, as always, to Magic Man Joe Strecker. Until next time, who will stand at either hand and keep the bridge with me?